All right, uh, let's turn to, to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. Have you noticed that we live in a highly judgmental age that is marked by criticism and blame? What is the mood of our times? The mood of our times is outrage and harshness. People attack each other on social media. We vilify those who disagree with us. We assign dismissive titles. What we've seen is the rise of cancel culture, which shuns and ostracizes people for their failures. It is negative, it is demanding, it is unforgiving. And all of this shows just how desperate the world is for a message of grace. The shaping virtues of the gospel that we have been considering together during this time shine all the more brightly in a world of pride and complaining and criticism. The message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, when it is received by the people of Christ, creates a community that is deeply marked by humility, joy, gratitude, encouragement, generosity, servanthood, and godliness. And tonight, I want to consider how each one of us can contribute in our relationships and in our local churches, how we can contribute to creating a culture of encouragement. The great theme of encouragement. And so Acts chapter 11, and I'll begin reading in verse 19. This is God's holy and authoritative word. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed, turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. May God bless the preaching of his word and meet with each one of us and minister to us in the power of 
his Holy Spirit. One of the heroes of the early church is a man named Joseph. He was a Hellenized Jew who had joined the church in Jerusalem not too long after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's introduced in Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 describes what the early church was like, the remarkable unity and love that existed among these believers. It says they were of one heart and soul. Great grace was upon them all. And then there's one man in particular who is mentioned as an exemplar of this community of grace. He sold his property and gave the proceeds to the church. The joy of generosity. He wasn't in a leadership position at the time, but Joseph so excelled in encouragement and generosity and servanthood that he was given a nickname. And the nickname that he was given is Barnabas, meaning son of encouragement. The defining feature in how this disciple of Christ related to other believers was encouragement. I wonder what nickname would I be given? Actually, whenever I think of Barnabas, I think of a nickname my friends gave me when I was in my early 20s. They called me the Hawk uh, because I had the spiritual gift of pointing out people's faults and sins. Some of you didn't know that's a spiritual gift. I had it. I was so quick to bring correction and feedback and express concerns that my closest friends truly started calling me the Hawk. For me, it started when I was a kid. We had a weekly family night, and each week when we would gather together in my parents' living room, my parents would ask how the kids are getting along with their siblings, and we knew that moment was coming every week, and so I developed the habit of creating a list during the week of offenses that my brother and sister committed against me. So when that moment came, well, mom, thanks for asking. On Monday, Ryan refused to share his bike with me. On Tuesday, Sarah yelled, stop it at me in an irritated tone of voice. What I was doing isn't relevant. She yelled, stop it in an irritated tone of voice. Here's, here's what I've realized. I am naturally left to myself. I am like the anti-Barnabas. I'm like the son of criticism. And that is why I so desperately need this man's example. He models for us all what it means to be a people of encouragement. Our God is the God of all encouragement who desires his people to be a community of grace and refreshment. But this struggle to be sons and daughters of encouragement is a very real everyday struggle. A culture of encouragement is tested whenever we are sinned against or whenever we see weaknesses or mistakes in others. A culture of encouragement is tested in marriages when nagging and bitterness enter the relationship over time. A culture of encouragement is tested when we think the church should be different in a particular area and the leaders or the church members 
just don't seem to get it. The gospel had been worked so deeply into the soul of Barnabas that it shaped his entire life. It's the kind of person I want to be. Are you a son of encouragement? Are you a daughter of encouragement? We should, here's how we can be reproved by the example of Barnabas. We should be giving so much encouragement as a pattern, as a way of life, that we gain a reputation for it. That we're known as someone who is an encouragement to others. The question before us tonight is this. Will we contribute to a culture of encouragement in the church that God has joined us to? Will we be people of grace? Will you and I be a source of genuine refreshment to others in the church through the ministry of affirmation that God has called us to? Each one of us has the responsibility to model and cultivate this kind of culture. How do we do that? That's what I want to look at. And there are three things that we learn from Barnabas about a culture of encouragement that I want to consider from these verses. First, in a culture of encouragement, people are quick to see grace in others. People are quick to see grace grace in others. This work in Antioch had just recently formed. They had scattered from Jerusalem, we're told, because of persecution. But when Barnabas goes to check on this fledgling work, where much instruction was still needed and no doubt weaknesses abounded, see what happens. Look at verse 23. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Remain faithful. You're faithful. You're doing well. Keep it up. I see grace and I'm glad. He could have been primarily aware of the areas they needed to be instructed. He could have been primarily aware of their sin He could have compared that church unfavorably with his previous experience in the church in Jerusalem. But instead, he looks at this church and he sees the grace of God in their lives. In a culture of encouragement, people are quick to see grace in others. Does this mean we are to ignore weaknesses and sin? Of course not. But it does mean that we refuse to view other believers fundamentally through the lens of their sin. What I always think of in this regard is Paul's example of relating to the church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it is a remarkable example of seeing grace in hard places. Just pause for a moment and imagine if at your local Sovereign Grace Church there was divisions serious doctrinal error, sexual immorality that was accepted, lawsuits among members, people showing up drunk to church, misuses of the gifts of the Spirit, and opposition to extra-local leadership. That and more is the situation in Corinth. That's what Paul's writing to address. Problem after problem after problem after problem. How does he begin that letter? 1 Corinthians 1 verse 4. 
I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is an astonishing perspective to take of the people of God. The Puritans called this seeing evidences of grace. You see, you observe evidences of the gracious activity of God in the lives of others. To be a Christian is to have our eyes opened to the reality of the grace of God. The Christian is one who can stand both at the foot of the cross and in the fellowship of community and joyfully say, I see grace. We've had our eyes opened. Once we passed by the cross, seeing no grace, seeing nothing glorious, seeing nothing attractive. But then the power of God broke into our hearts and our eyes were opened and we saw the beauty of the riches of the grace of God to us in Christ Jesus. And when when our eyes are open to see grace, we see grace not only in God's actions in Christ, but we see his grace among the people of God. In the church, it may be that we see the gifts of the Spirit. It may be that we see the fruit of the Spirit. It may be that we see steadfastness in suffering, hope in the midst of lament, but we see it. Friends, are you quick to see grace in others? I'll tell you, the easily offended Christian is not likely to encourage many. Easily offended people distance themselves from others and allow a root of bitterness to grow. The Christian with a critical spirit is not likely to encourage many. Often what you have is those who have a commendable gift of discernment, but then discernment is made their greatest passion which comes with the tendency to focus on the negative and to be critical of others. The Christian with a passion for a single issue is not likely to encourage many. We know some Christians who have a great passion for a particular application of the gospel, and this in and of itself is commendable. It might be care for the poor, it might be fighting racism, it might be advocating for the unborn. But what so often happens is that rather than using that passion to positively set an example or to take action with friends, you have the single passion Christian who spends all of their energy trying to get the church to do more and becoming agitated and judging other believers who don't seem to care or to measure up to their standard. The discouraged Christian is not likely to encourage many We all battle discouragements, but when discouragements shape our outlook and our mood, we will no longer be mighty in faith and mighty in joy. 
the hyper-nostalgic Christian is not likely to encourage many. The nostalgic Christian treasures the ways that God has moved in the past, and rightfully so, but that then comes with a tendency to compare what used to be with what presently is. We need to be aware in our own lives of what tendencies we have that may work against a life of encouragement. And we all need the example of Barnabas, this man who is so skilled in seeing grace. Because it is so much easier for all of us to criticize than it is to point out grace. There's a J.C. Ryle quote that has often spurred me on in this regard. He says in his book, Holiness, that there is no surer mark of backsliding and falling off in grace than an increasing disposition to find fault pick holes, and see weak points in others. And his exhortation regarding what we see when we look at others, he says, let us be more quick to see grace and more slow to see imperfections. That's a good exhortation. Let us be, as the people of Christ, as the people who belong to the God of all grace, let us be more quick to see grace and more slow to see imperfections. Here's what so easily happens, and it often happens over time in relationships. What happens is that affirmations tend to diminish, and corrections or irritations tend to increase. And grace is taken for granted, and sins and weaknesses become the focal point of our relating to others. That is the very thing, you've seen that happen. If you haven't experienced it, you've seen it happen in relationships and in marriages and in churches. It is, it is exactly what must never happen if we are to maintain a culture of encouragement. Not in our marriages, not in our homes, not in our friendships, not in ministry, and not in the church. For parents, let me make an application here. Seeing grace begins in the home. Even if we cannot point out evidences of saving grace... In our children, we can point out evidences of common grace. We can share things that we appreciate about our kids. We can let them know that their strengths loom large in our minds. And the more distant you are relationally from a child, the more identifying grace needs to be an intentional priority. The more aware you are of areas that need to change in that child, the more aggressive you need to be in seeing grace. This this outlook, this impulse to see grace, to look for things to commend and encourage, that's what we should be bringing to our small groups. That's what we should be bringing to our friendships. That's what we should be bringing to marriages and to Sunday mornings and to ministry teams. In a culture of encouragement, people are quick to see grace. He came and he saw the grace of God. Second point, in a culture of encouragement, so right now, notice we're talking about encouragement, but I haven't said anything about what we actually communicate. It's just that you're perceiving the grace of God at work in others. Second, in a culture of encouragement, people are marked by gladness in others. And I'm still not talking about the words that we speak. I'm talking here about our hearts. When when Barnabas went to Antioch, we're told he saw the grace of God and what was the response? 
was glad. He was, he was, he rejoiced. He saw the grace of God and was glad. Not only eyes that see grace, but a heart that responds with gladness. A fundamental part of what it means to love is that my joy and my gladness is wrapped up in your well-being. I've sometimes heard it said that love is not an emotion, but 1 Corinthians 13 says love rejoices with the truth, meaning love rejoices in what is beautiful and true in people's lives. You see grace in others and you cannot contain the gladness that you have in them. I used to think that it was a mark of maturity to find our joy in God, not in people. Isn't that the mark of a true worshiper? I rejoice in God, not in people. My joy is not dependent upon going to the Sunday service or experiencing fellowship in a small group meeting. But did you know that God has made us in such a way that he intends a large part of our joy and happiness in life to be found in other people. I find it remarkable that when Adam was enjoying perfect fellowship with God in the garden, God looked at the arrangement and said, this is not good. It is not good for man to be alone. I wanna say, well, he's not entirely alone. I mean, he does have God. What is not good is that Adam had the joy of God's presence without the joy of God's people. And therefore, God places us into relationships, into community, especially in the redeemed family of God for our joy. Psalm 16, verse 3, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. You walk into church on a Sunday morning and you look out over the brothers and sisters who are there and you say, these are the excellent ones. These are the ones in whom is all my delight. We can go even further and say that you should have no greater joy in life than to see God's grace at work in fellow believers. Third John verse four, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children, members of the family of God, are walking in the truth. This joy in the people of God does not come easily And the greatest challenge to that joy is my own fallen, self-absorbed heart. Think about those, those times. We heard this morning, Sermon on Joy. Think about those times that joy has seemed elusive to your soul. Isn't it true that when you lack gladness in life, so often it is because we have turned completely inward on ourselves. And if you are there today, if you're battling spiritual depression, if you feel stuck in a sort of Eeyore Christianity, if you're dominated by introspection, God is calling you today to the gladness of seeing his grace in others. And in our best moments, we know we've experienced this, the heights of joy that come from seeing God's grace in others. Think of what we have already experienced just today. 
in relation to seeing the grace of God. The people of God from 10 churches loudly singing God's praise. Salvation testimonies from Melissa and then from Phil. Reports of gospel ministry in Frankfurt, church planting in Malvern, the gospel bearing fruit throughout the world. So many people serving in so many ways. This is the grace of God. And it ought to fill our hearts with gladness. Reflect on your own life in this area from the standpoint of of an emotional response. When you observe the grace of God at work in others, what is your response? Do you have an emotional response? You see grace? How does your heart respond? At the heart of encouragement, and this is so critical for avoiding flattery, avoiding empty words, at the heart of encouragement, behind anything we say, are eyes that see grace and a heart that responds with gladness. And then third, our third point, in a culture of encouragement, people are full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Full of the Holy Spirit and faith. This explains the cause of this outlook and ability that Barnabas had to see grace. In verse 24, that word for is explanatory. He saw the grace of God and he was glad for He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. The cause of this, how do you get to be that kind of person? What is the explanation behind being a relationally refreshing person? It is the Holy Spirit and faith. Those Christians who are not full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith would not be able to see and celebrate Grace, And so how do we cultivate a culture of encouragement? How can we grow in being sons and daughters of encouragement? The Holy Spirit and faith. Let's consider each of those and let's pray that God grows us in these graces. First, pray that we would be full of the Holy Spirit. Every Christian is indwelt by the Holy Spirit, but not every Christian is full of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 6, chapter 3, it talks about selecting men for service and looking for those Christians who are full of the Holy Spirit. The assumption being that not every Christian is full of the Spirit. The Spirit of God, sent from the Father and from the Son, creates a Trinitarian joy and love in our lives. The Holy Spirit wages war against sin in our lives, wages war on our critical spirits, and Galatians 5, produces love and joy as his fruit in our lives. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who first opened our eyes to see the grace of God in Christ. He led us to the cross. He opened our eyes to see the love of God in the death of his son. And now the Spirit continues to help us see grace in others. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Here's what our our statement of faith 
says regarding being filled with the Spirit. And I was so encouraged to see, I believe it was Christ Community Church, Reading, reading through our statement of faith on Sunday mornings as part of their service. This is what it says. To be filled with the Spirit is to be more fully under His influence, more aware of His presence. You know what He's doing. And more effective in His service. All Christians, therefore, must continually seek to be filled with the Spirit by living and praying in such a way that invites the Spirit's work among us. Actively longing for God to accomplish His gracious purposes in us and through us. The filling of the Spirit brings to God's people a deeper knowledge of Christ, an increased desire for holiness, a stronger commitment to unity and love, a greater fruitfulness in ministry, and a deeper gratitude for our salvation. Being filled with the Spirit makes all the difference in the life of a Christian. Those who are full of the Spirit expect God to move when we gather. Those who are full of the Spirit are open to God moving in unplanned ways and they desire that. Those who are filled with the Spirit are not content with our current experience of God's empowering presence. They long for more. They cry out for more. And one of the great fruits of being filled with the Spirit is that we are more aware of the grace of God in others and it fills our hearts with joy. Pray to be filled with the Spirit. And second... Second, pray that we would be full of faith. Have you considered the role of faith in community and in the Christian life? Faith takes a particular outlook of weaknesses in others and the trials that we face. There is a world of difference between seeing the church without eyes of faith versus seeing the church with eyes of faith. Faith makes all the difference in life, in relationships, and in service. It is faith that enlivens our work with joy by giving us a divine perspective of others. Faith is not just sort of positive thinking. Faith taps into seeing people as God sees them. It taps into reality. One author talks about what it means to be full of faith, and I like this example that he gives. It has stuck with me. He uses an everyday example in parenting. He says, say a boy breaks a chair because he was jumping on it from the bunk bed. Okay, that's the situation. Boy breaking a chair, he's jumping on it from the bunk bed. Unbelief sees the cost of replacing the chair. Faith sees aggressiveness and courage, both of which obviously need to be directed and disciplined. Or suppose a boy gets into a fight protecting his sister. Unbelief sees the lack of wisdom that created a situation that could have been easily avoided. Faith sees an immature masculinity that is starting to assume the burden of manhood. Unbelief squashes. Faith teaches. Faith takes the boy aside and tells him that this part of what he did was good while that other part of what he did got in the way and this is how to do it better next time. You see how faith relates to people? And God is calling us to be a people full of faith. 
You want to be the kind of Christian who has the ability to see the unseen. Faith can see past the surface to identify the activity of God in the life of a fellow sinner. Faith is aware of the character of God. Faith is aware of the activity of God in others. And faith is confident. Faith faith sees the miraculous change that God has done in the lives of others by regenerating them. And faith knows that if that change occurred, then any change is possible. In fact, it's not only possible, it is likely And faith remembers that in a short while, the people of God will be perfected. And therefore, faith refuses to be discouraged by sin. Faith enables us to relate to others with an awareness of where God has been at work and where God is currently at work in them and how he will continue his good work until Christ comes again. Christian, cultivate faith in your soul. And allow this faith to shape the way you view others in the church. What does it mean to create a Barnabas culture? What does it mean to create a culture of encouragement? It means you see grace. It means that you respond with gladness. It means that, it means that you use your words then to give life. He does exhort them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Never underestimate the power that words can have. Death and life really are in the power of the tongue. Proverbs 18, 21. There's one, um, one author who describes encouragement as adrenaline for the soul. And I think that's, that's right. It's when, when we find ourselves growing weary, when we find ourselves losing heart, What do we need? Adrenaline for the soul. How does God provide that? Through the encouragement of others. Practicing a life of encouragement includes commending people behind their backs is a practice that I want to commend to you. Think of someone in your life who always seems to be saying negative and critical things about other people to you. And on the count of three, say that person's name out loud. No, no, don't do that. Here's what, here's what I can guarantee you. They also speak negatively about you to others. You are not dealing with a son or daughter of encouragement. But now think of someone who is regularly speaking highly of others to you and is affirming them even when they're not around. You know what I love about him? You know what she's really good at? You know where that person has really been an example to me? That's an encourager. They're not just putting something on to make people feel good. They're not flatterers. They're genuinely, genuinely aware of grace and they're filled with joy because of it. This is relevant for anyone in any position of leadership, whether it is pastors or ministry leaders or uh, in the workplace or in the home. Here's a a bit of leadership advice that I wanted to share. This is from Mark Dever. He says, and I, I read this and I was challenged and inspired by it. He says, so many times I've seen men, particularly younger guys, act as if real leadership is shown in correcting others. I was like, oh, I can't relate to that at all at any point in my life. 
He says, that's why young men's sermons often scold. What they haven't figured out is that you can often accomplish more by encouragement. There are times to scold, but 80 to 90% of what you hope to correct can be accomplished through encouragement. The very things that you look to correct can be accomplished through encouragement. He says, if you look back at your life and consider who influenced you the most, you will probably find that it's the people who believed in you. A culture of encouragement also includes uh, a, a culture of honoring. Honoring, you can think of honoring as when encouragement goes public. And it's not optional, it is commanded. There are biblical commands to honor and praise people. And if you don't have a category for that, take a closer look. Honor such men, honor everyone. A woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Romans 12 verse 10 says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Most of us are not in danger of praising others too much. And it would be good for us to cultivate the practice of honoring others, encouraging them. Isn't it true that each one of us needs this in our own lives? And isn't it true that God has put people in our lives whom he intends for us to be a source of refreshment and encouragement for them? This is what it means to live in a culture of encouragement. We are both giving and receiving encouragement as we press on together as the people of God to that homeland that we long to arrive at. How do we get there? We help each other out along the way. We exhort and encourage one another every day lest we be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin when a brother or sister falls down and isn't aware of God's activity in their lives at all. The encourager comes beside them and says, here is where God's at work in your life. Here's what God is doing. Do not lose heart. Be of good courage. God is at work. He's got you. He's at work. He started a good work in you and he will most surely bring it to completion. Let's be this kind of encouragement in each other's lives for the glory of God. And you know what happens when we do that? And let's have the band return because we're going to close with a song. The rest of verse 24 shows the result of a gospel culture when it says, and a great many people were added to the Lord. When a church applies these shaping virtues to their life together, people are drawn to that community precisely because it is unlike anything they have seen in the world. There's something distinct about the church. There's something glorious about the church. Friends, don't be the hawk. Be a Barnabas. See grace. Respond with gladness. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and with faith. And then watch as the Lord continues to use the power and the beauty of a gospel culture to draw people to himself. May we be a people of encouragement for the glory of God alone. Amen.